HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. It's a bright and beautiful Sunday afternoon here at Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. And welcome to another milk-curdling episode of Cutting the Curd, where we delve into the curds and whey and see what's doing in the world of dairy. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. The Edwards family has joined Heritage Foods USA and Newman Berkshire Farm to develop an all-natural product line featuring Suriano hams, Berkshire smoked slice and slab bacon, and Berkshire smoked sausage links. These new products are produced exclusively from purebred six-spotted Berkshire pigs raised completely outdoors on independent family farms. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. For more, Ed- or for more about S. Wallace Edwards and Sons, visit www.edwardsvaham.com. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Jack Inslee, and our engineer, Nat Wiener, for getting this show out there to all you on the internets. Um, so listeners out there, do you want to be a cheesemaker? Give us a call at 718-497-2128 or send an email to the studio, info at heritageradionetwork.com. And who the heck knows, maybe we could get you hooked up with a cheese-making gig. (laughs) So two weeks ago, I did a show called So You Want to Be a Cheesemaker with Veronica Pedraza of Jasper Hill Farm. Today, I'm going to continue on that theme and chat with my good friend Luella Hill of Narragansett Creamery in Rhode Island. Narragansett Creamery is at the forefront of the Ocean State's dairy revolution, and Luella is the force of nature behind their wonderful line of cheeses, which range from fresh Italian and Latin American styles to rich, aged European-style cheeses. Um, Welcome, Luella. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Um, So what's going on at your house this Sunday? Uh, I was actually just hanging some laundry out on the line, and um, it's, so it's beautiful and sunny here in Rhode Island, which it hasn't been in the past, <laughs> as most of the United States knows. Yeah, us too. We had some really bad rainy weather for the last week, but it's beautiful here today too. Right. Yeah, and I'm uh, uh, making some soup, and uh, the baby is taking a nap. 
sounds very idyllic and perfect. A good, <laughs> good little relaxing moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, so to start off, I was wondering, could you um, tell us a little bit about the history of Narragansett Creamery and how you came to be involved with, uh, with them? Sure. Um, so we, we actually, around here, we say Narragansett with a little more emphasis on the T. Narragansett. Which is like um, the beer people know, Gansett's, um, that, same, that same pronunciation. So the background of, that, of Narragansett Creamery is um, we're not very old. We're about three years old, three and a half years old. Okay. And uh, it started out um, eight, eight and a half years ago when I was in college and thinking that I was studying agriculture or nutritional anthropology or something like that and really think, really realizing that you can't learn that stuff through books, that you really have to go in and dig, dig in and, and learn with your hands and your, and your nose and your eyes. So I took time off school. I bought a ticket for Italy. I didn't speak Italian, but I just knew I had to get there. And I guess I sort of surrendered to serendipity, and I landed on an agriturismo. It was kind of the dead of winter, and I spent a lot of time shoveling pig dew. And, <laughs> and just, Everyone's got to pay their pay their dues by by shoveling the dew every <laughs> when you first get started. Yeah, well, it's all, it's, it's the backside of cheese making all around. Even though obviously we don't use milk pigs, but um, uh, I was doing that. Then the farm next door, a, che- a dairy farm with 150 sheep, um, they needed a helper, and I quickly jumped on the opportunity. Um, so that was right around uh, this spring, right around this time of year, so when the lambs were coming in. Wow. And what part of Italy were you in? I was right outside of Siena in Tuscany. Amazing. And so that's really, really bold of you. How did you decide um, where you were going to go in Italy? Was it just this agriturismo popped up? And, and um, yeah, what, how, how was that connection made? Um, kind of random. I just... I, I'm kind of one of those big idea and drop everything and make it happen somehow, people. Uh, so I just knew I had to get there, and then I asked every, you didn't, there wasn't a person that crossed my path during that time that didn't hear that I was going to Italy and, and wasn't asked if I knew, if, if they knew somebody. So it ended up being my mother's cousin's daughter's best friend who knew of this agroturismo. Unbelievable. I always, I'm a firm believer in, you know, when you put something out there in the cosmos, it's like if you're willing to like just talk about it and ask lots of questions, you know, you're going to find the answer somehow. Oh. It'll probably come to you in the most like circuitous way, but you're absolutely going to find what you're looking for. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, I think it's why all these like social networking things that have allowed people to talk to each other are working so well is because probably somebody has your answer. You just have to link up to them and find them. Yeah, isn't that funny though? I find that like the social networking thing, I I I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit of a luddite, but I've had more success with like the the route that you took, you know, where you just like just yeah. uh, put the word out there, kind of more old fashioned, like I guess. And, yeah, and yeah, just a verbal, like so and so said so and so said so and so. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I that's how I landed. But a lot of people have asked me, you know, like oh, have told me they want to go to Italy and learn cheese making and. I just want to throw out there that a really smart way to do that would be to just join Wolf Italia. Oh, and that's W-W-O-O-F-F. Or, no, sorry, W-W-O-O-F, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And they have a website. Is it wolf.org? 
Um, yeah, that, and that will be the main site, which will lead you to the different countries. And essentially with that, and maybe the listeners know what that is, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know what it was, certainly, until a little while ago. And I feel like the more we put out there, the, the better. <laughs> so um, WOOF is this brilliant system where you can give support by giving labor and time to organic farms almost anywhere in the world. And you do that for free in exchange for learning the skills of the farm, the, the knowledge of, some knowledge from the farm, and then they will house you and feed you. And if you join these networks like Woof Italia or there's Woof USA, you'll, get a list, you'll have to pay maybe a $25 membership, and then you'll get a listing of all the organic farms that are members of that system who are looking for help. I remember I, I actually it's very funny I joined that organization too because before I opened my store I spent six months traveling and I lived with different goat cheese makers in France and uh, with a winemaker in Italy and I remember I thought it was the funniest thing because at that time to join you had to send money you couldn't like they, there was no PayPal there was no like oh, yeah. you know f- way to do it online so they're like please send your money and wrap it up in aluminum foil and oh, no that's really funny and trust that it'll get to us and I was like okay I was like well <laughs> but sure enough it, it worked and I it worked, yeah yeah it was very funny I ended up um um yeah, making connections with cheesemakers in a different way. But the listings of all of the different, uh, uh, you know, farms that you could work at, it's really, really incredible. It's fantastic. And even if you don't speak the language of the country, by woofing, you often can find people who will speak English or do, who can speak English, and that can give you a landing place. And yep. usually, um, as usually people stay between two weeks and, well, in my case, I ended up staying for a year um, wow. So I moved to the farm next door, and the, they had never had a, an apprentice before, and they didn't speak English, so that was my instant you know, immersion into Italian. And um, I, I just, I mean, as, as you know, I just felt totally in love. I just thought, this is, this is the best thing in the entire world, being the farm, the smell of the sheep, the sound of the sheep, waking up early in the morning, Making the, making the pecorino, stopping at the middle of each day and eating a really beautiful lunch that was really simple and gathered locally. So um, not only did I learn um, how to make this variety, the pecorino toscano, both fresh and aged, but I just learned a way of life that, like, it made total sense to me. And I, I've never gone back in the sense, like, I've, it converted my whole being. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally does. It it really connects things on a different level. You see how the farmers arrange, the way the farmers, ha- you know, what kind of animals they have, the way that they arrange their life, mm-hmm. um, and their style of, of, yeah, just of being influences the outcome of the cheese, which I think is like the most magical thing about eating cheese. Yeah, right. And and also for me, I totally, and when I... Um, I did, you know, I didn't grow up on very gourmet food, and I think when I, when I tasted that pecorino toscano, like right there on that farm, and they cut you a wedge, which is like, you know, <laughs> got to be like eight ounces, or like half a pound. <laughs> you're just supposed to eat like an apple. Yeah, they're like manja. <laughs> if you don't <laughs> eat it, they're they're gonna be mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you really, I, I just like, I yeah, the flavor. It was just so that it, I really believe in the energy of food, and I'm sure that was just like 
totally loaded cheese. <laughs> Absolutely. So was that kind of, that was one of my questions for you. Was that your like cheese aha moment where you were no. like, oh my God, this is it. This is like, oh yeah. Okay. Like bring, bring, brings me to tears, like so beautiful. And I know people have these like food epiphanies. It's neat that we can like sort of have this moment of metamorphosis by, by eating something and, you know, all of our senses are sort of awakened and then I'm like, then my brain goes, oh my gosh, this could be my life. Like, <laughs> and, um, I, so yeah, I, I ended up staying, um, for the whole lactation cycle of the sheep and then. And, and how long was that? Um, so lambing is in the spring, right around Easter. And then, um, sheep have a short lactation cycle. They give milk from the birth through, usually mid-August, late August. Um, it depends on the climate and the feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and also, one doesn't, you don't really want to make cheese with the late lactation milk because it can start to get a little difficult to work with. Um, yeah, really heavy, right? Really thick. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't want to coagulate well when you put the rennet in. Ah, okay, okay. Um, and in, so, on that farm, what would they do? You said it depends on the feed. Were they kind of like a really pasture-based? Were the sheep just out roaming the hills of Tuscany, or were they a little bit closer to the barn, or how, was the, how did that work? Um, it was, like, you can visually imagine that, like, classic patchwork countryside where, ev- like, every acre is a different person's property, and, and as this, you know, each, it looks like a patchwork quilt, like each little square, dif- different color. So the... Um, Claudio and Magdalena, they, they actually didn't own their land. They rented from the government, even their house they didn't own. Hmm. And they were sort of, uh, they were back to the landers. And back in the 70s, there was an, an equivalent movement over in Italy. And um, they grew all the grain and um, put the sheep on, you know, after we milked the sheep each morning, they were brought out to pasture, which Claudio maintained. So I helped with the hanging and we, you know, put the grain in the thresher and all of that. That's really interesting. So uh, the back to the land movement, first of all, I didn't know that that kind of crossed, you know, the Atlantic and it wasn't just like a hippie, you know, American thing. Um, And then that there was government uh, assistance with farmers getting land. Um, That's pretty, that's pretty cool that people could get into farming without having to make the whole investment like they do here most times. Actually, no, they just, um, it wasn't really government assistance, more like the government owns more land, I think, and they, so they just rented a country house from the government, and that was, that's more normal there than, it, you'd never find that here. Hmm. And then they just rented, they, the same as the farmer might lease a neighbor's field, they just leased pieces of property around, nearby, like that, so we would walk the sheep down the road to like a little paddock that they, you know, rented from the neighbor. Oh, how funny. Well, it's like, you know, free lawn service, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool that it's like not very much our mentality that like you you can make it happen. You can be a cheesemaker and not own land. And obviously there's there's uncertainty in that, but um, it's totally doable. And there's community in it, you know, which is what farming has always been about. And um, yeah, I think Americans are always kind of more focused on like, okay, I have to like get all this stuff myself, whether it's the facilities or the land or the equipment right. to make the whatever they're going to make. And, and that cooperative, um, you know, that cooperative mentality is really, really just allows a lot of cool things to happen. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. 
Um, so from so from Tuscany, um, you came back to. Did you come back to Rhode Island, or where where did you go from there? Um, so the sheep the sheep dried up. <laughs> I like to say that and floated away. <laughs> and then um, so we'd been selling our cheeses at this little farmers market in in Firenze, in Florence, and there was one other cheesemaker there. And so as soon as there was no more cheese to make in the in the cheap sheep world, I went over to the other lady, the other person, a woman named Tina, who had cows up in the Alpininis, about five hours out of Florence, and I asked her if um, she and her family would like an apprentice, and um, so then I went with them, and we made um, Taleggio, a cheese called Latteria, which Mm. is in the family of, like, Fontina, I actually read once that Fontina, Asiago, um, a couple of others are actually in theory, all the same cheese, but with different regional adaptations. Ah, like different. I love it. Cheese is like, it's, it's like dialects, you know? Yeah. It just changes a little bit from, from farm to farm, region to region. Yeah, exactly. So um, the, there I, we, the um, herd had 14 cows, and they, those cows grazed on a hillside as steep as the steepest hill you could imagine. <laughs> and they just sort of walked vertically <laughs> up their pasture. And um, high altitude cows, they probably have stronger lungs than like yeah. all the cows down in the valley. Yeah, totally. And that, that, this was a funner experience. Whereas with the sheep, I was only 30 minutes from Siena. This one, I was like pretty out in the boondocks and, you know, the house was a thousand years old or something. Wow. Um, and that was really fun to then make cow cheese and I would have kept going, but I, the, the pull from the other side of the Atlantic was saying, come home and, you know, finish school. So um, at the end of the year, after I got in a little olive oil harvest, I did come back, and I finished school, and, of course, I turned my, all of my schoolwork into studying local agriculture and sort of asking the question like, of, why does Tuscany have to have the beautiful landscape, and we develop our countryside here in the States, why don't we keep our own beautiful countryside and take vacations in it? Right. Right. Well, that's okay. So that's a perfect point. I think we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we can talk about how you translated that um, idea into a successful business and delicious cheese. Um, Stay with us. We'll be back on cutting the curd. Along the plains of Mexico, 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 away, Santiano. Mexico is a place I know. Along the plains of Mexico, Nassau girls ain't got no comb. Away, Santiano. They combs their hair with a kipper backbone. Along the plains of Mexico, 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 away. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and my guest today is Luella Hill, cheesemaker at Narragansett Creamery. Um, so I, I'm really bummed out that, the, that you can't hear the interim music. I had them play some sea shanties because, you know, you guys are making cheese in the ocean state. And so... Uh, <laughs> And and the shanty it was cool. It was talking all about Mexico, and so that has another tie-in because you guys make so many wonderful sort of Latin-style cheeses, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute. Um, but so okay, so you got back to the states and you were finishing school. Where were you going to school, by the way? Uh, at Brown University. Okay, so you were in Providence. Are you born and raised in Long Island or in uh, Rhode Island? 
No, I'm a total poser. I'm, I'm actually from this little border town in Arizona called Bisbee. It's right on the Mexican border. Ah, okay, okay. Um, and so interesting. Okay, so, but uh, you saw the opportunity to do, um, to do agricultural studies in Rhode Island. And, um, and so what did you do after you finished school? So I, I had just gotten a major B in my bonnet, and I was madly in love, like cross-eyed, crazy, crazy mad woman about this idea of, like, save the farms and eat local, and life is so beautiful if you just, you know, grow a garden and make your own, make your own cheese and bread or, you know, I, I maybe went almost off the deep end, um, I think, the biggest moment for me was coming back from Italy and I was in this Greyhound bus station and watching somebody, you know, eat some just terrible looking bologna and saltine crackers, you know, while watching television, not even looking at the food. And and that was just in such stark contrast to that Italian lunch table that I'd recently been at. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go evangelical on them? Did you like, you know, start (laughs) proselytizing in the, in the Greyhound station? I I know almost, I, it just broke my, I just started crying. I just thought like, Oh. oh, I'm so sad. Um, so that, that then the next thing I start, happened is I started talking to farmers in Rhode Island and saying, what are you growing? Are you growing food? Where is it going? And I went into grocery stores and said, where, where's, you know, where are these tomatoes coming from? It's August. And I, I started just sort of investigating and on and on and on. I started realizing that there was a quick, easy connection to make, which was connect farmers with local buyers. And this, it was just the right timing. And as you know, people were starting to get click on to this idea. And so in a very short amount of time, I had graduated and convinced Brown, Brown University Dining Services to hire me to be their farm, their local purchasing coordinator. Wow, that is such a huge step because that really, I mean, to, even now, what in 2010, you know, a lot of universities say that they want to do that, but they don't really make it happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely not cheap and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, just to not go on and on, the, I basically got this swirled into this, like, the, you know, the, the wave was about to break of this huge local food movement, and I, I was connected to all the farmers. I, the phone, my phone was ringing off the hook. They're saying, I've got, you know, three bushels of cabbages and this and that, and I'm calling, and pretty soon, the, you know, restaurants are calling me. I'm basically becoming this, you know, this vegetable broker, you know, out of my you know, my one-room apartment uh-huh. <laughs> um, because I'd started doing it for Brown, but really everybody wants local. And so did you establish, you established farmer's markets, didn't you? Yeah, so then it was a fairly quick evolution to the founding of a nonprofit named, uh, called Farm Fresh Rhode Island. Awesome. awesome. So, yeah, so then I was totally immersed in the world of nonprofits and grant writing and public speaking and just the generally dealing with all of these farmers' problems and emotions and politics. And that was, it was great. Um, but as any of your listeners who've tried to manage farmers know, um, managing farmers is like herding cats. <laughs> oh my God, completely, completely. Well, and everyone, you know, as you are a cheesemaker yourself now, you know, everyone has such... There should be at least 48 hours in a day, if not more. Yeah. So it's just, it's really hard to get everybody together. Um, yeah. But so... So then I, then I got burnout. I, I just like, 
at some point I said, I'm sitting at a computer. I can't stand it. I, right. That's, you I want to be my, on the farm. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just want to get my, I want to be immersed. I'm just, I have to be immersed. I have to be physically engaged in making food. I think that's just my, my, my set of cards or something. Yeah. So yeah. I left that job and, or I, I took time off or I stepped aside and I contacted or um, linked up with the main cheese guild Okay. Um, through Mosca. And this is another pitch for another great way for oh. your listeners to get linked in with a cheese-making opportunity. That's what I want. I want to provide people with like concrete information, like these are sources. This is where you go if you want to apprentice, if you want to learn about cheese-making. So, oh, yeah, yeah Mafka, let's talk about it. I love the Common Ground Fair. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So anyone who hasn't gotten it right, Mafka stands for Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And um, perhaps hands down one of the most brilliant organizations, most smartly run organizations um, in the country, one of their programs is uh, Farmer Apprenticeship. And it's the same, as the, same idea as WOOF. Um, so through them, I just put in an application, and then they gave me back a listing of um, farms that were looking for help. And there's a couple of cheesemakers and um, dairies on that listing. So I... Uh, co- connected up with Appleton Creamery, which okay. is in Appleton, Maine. Okay. And Caitlin Hunter is a very kick-ass cheesemaker up there who's um, got a lot on her plate and a beautiful herd of um, mainly alpine goats, a little bit of salmon mixed in. Mm-hmm. So I went up there again right around the time of the kidding, um, late winter, early spring. And <laughs> the most chaotic time of the year. I love yeah. it. You jump in just when everyone's like at their wits end and you just, yeah. you, s- you can save the day. It's like, dun, no. da, da, da. but it is a smart time. I mean, if people want to make cheese and see the full picture, you might think about, they might think, one might think about sure. trying to get there in at a time when the, because that's when the milk, the flush of milk comes in and there's so much milk to deal with. And then you can also see how the milk changes through the season because, yeah, you know, right. that's a really important part of cheese making too, knowing how yeah. to read what your milk is doing at different times of the year. Right. And um, I also feel like just to understand where milk comes from, like I, I know we know milk comes out of udders and udders are on animals, but there's, there's really this bigger picture of like, well, there's only milk because the, the herd gave birth and... So, I mean, there's, you understand the intimacy and the preciousness of the milk, I think, by being there. I, I remember, I didn't know that. I, I, um, after I graduated from college, I had um, approached uh, uh, the cheesemakers at Cato Corner Farm in Connecticut mm-hmm. about having um, a cheesemaking internship with them because, you know, I wanted to get out of the city and I love cheese and, and I thought making cheese would be, like, fun and interesting. And, yeah. and so they... they you know, miraculously told me that that was okay. And I remember driving up to Connecticut with Mark Gilman, who's mm-hmm. the cheesemaker, and um, him and Christina, who was the other intern at the time, talking about how, you know, the cows were, were freshening. And I was like, freshening? I was like, what the heck does that mean? You know, <laughs> I, I grew up in, in suburban Chicago. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, cows have to have babies to make milk. It was like this revelation. Yeah. And I felt like such an idiot. I just kind of yeah. like shrunk down to the size of a pea in my seat. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's really, uh, you have to, it is a very intimate relationship and that's super important for people to be a part of. Yeah, totally. Um, so I was making goat cheese, started making goat cheeses with Caitlin, and Caitlin is like, 
she's just this incredible artist. She's doing so many different kinds of cheeses. Um, she is not only working her own goat milk, but she's buying in beautiful sheep milk from Elle's Farm, which is down the road, and she's buying in beautiful organic cow's milk, and she's mixing the milks, and she makes tiny batches and a little of this and wash drying and camembert and yogurt. And so wow. um, I had I'd already done sheep milk in, and cow milk in Italy, so this time I got to work goat milk and then see a lot of mixing of the three and and to you know sheep and cow or whatever yeah well so i definitely i i know we have just we have about um i would say seven minutes or so left and um i, I want to um just be able to make sure we talk about narragansett creamery okay. because you guys are doing such amazing work and um and so yeah, yeah. it's such an amazing amazing story so and and i know that you're probably like me i never really like to talk about like my projects i just want to like <laughs> promote everybody else yeah yeah um <laughs> but okay, you so have um, the creamery, so while I was in Maine, I had gone, I went back to my, in my mind, like to managing Farm Fresh Rhode Island and these farmers markets. And I, there was previous, prior to Narragansett Creamery, there was no cheese being made in Rhode Island and probably hadn't been for at least a decade. Wow. Okay. So the, the culture had fallen away. The Rhode Island Department of Health we love them, but just has no familiar familiarity with the process. Well, and that's very funny. I was actually reading in um, in Edible Rhode Island uh, just this week. I guess um, at one time Rhode Island was the cheese making capital of New England, yeah. and up until 1880, there were over 6,000 dairies in the state, which is like you know the size of a postage stamp. And now I, there are 17. Yeah. They said so. Yep. It's yeah. it's crazy that that uh, I don't know that that tradition completely died out. But so anyways. Um, so um, I started. I started contacting the Department of Health, and because ha- I wanted to work with them to spell out what would it, what would the requirements be, um, and you know, it basically came down to you know, it's going to be a major, major investment. I started. I wrote every dairy farmer and said, "Would you like to take this step with me, and we could go for you know, build this facility, and um, I, I will make the cheese." I didn't, nothing, no, nothing really worked, no bites, and I was sort of thinking like, oh my gosh, do I, <laughs> do I take out a million dollar loan? Yeah. Um, and then I was at a meeting with the Department of Health, and the Director of Food Safety says to me so casually, he says, why don't you just go down the road and talk to Mark Federico? And I'm, and I'm like, huh? And he's like, he's making cheese, you know, down the road over there on Atwell's, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so... The short of it is, lo and behold, two miles from the center of Providence, from the, you know, the city hall, yeah. there's this old industrial area, and one building is zoned for dairy processing. No and way. It's been, it's been pro- bottling local milk for the past 60 years, and then um, was uninhabited for about 10 years before and after, until um, Mark Federico, who's my boss and the co-founder of Narragansett Creamery, um, went there and started making fresh mozzarella curd for the wholesale market. Okay. So he had been making, he'd been making, um, and also a feta, he'd been making these cheeses. They'd all been, they were all being shipped to New York and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I was with this local food crazy head and had no idea there was cheese being made in the whole state. And then just, you know, in this totally unassuming building, Mark's busy making cheese, and so I approached him and said, <laughs> Mark, you're crazy. 
you have got to get this cheese on the market. We have got to pack it package it smaller like people will go crazy for local cheese made in providence so he said i know i know i've been thinking this for years i just don't have the time and i so we just made i joined put my energy towards it he gave me so much space um we decided to name it narragansett creamery after narragansett bay Uh uh-huh and um we he, he actually the first meeting he said you know, because he works on larger vats for the mozzarella curd, I said, you know, I'm interested. I'm trained as an artisan cheesemaker. I'm interested in making smaller smaller production, like mm-hmm. 100 gallons, um, you know, not 1,000 gallons or 5,000 gallons. And he took me into the make room, and there was his little test vat, which is a 40-gallon vat, and right next to that is a, is a 200-gallon vat. Um, so it was just like, it was a turnkey operation. Everything was there. It That's was, amazing. And in just, I mean, we started testing cheeses right away, but it was, yeah, literally months later, we had the mayor cut the first wheel of divine providence. and Beautiful. We yeah. And so, so now you make, I mean, I think one of the most amazing things about Narragansett Creamery is that you guys make this amazing array of cheeses from everything from the traditional sort of fresh mozzarella curd to Latin American style cheeses to aged cheeses. And that translation of you're kind of addressing all these different needs um, and different traditions and cultures and populations from one small creamery. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of cheeses you make and and why? Yeah, sure. So um, Mark and his wife is Patty and they really are the owners together. Um, they, their family is from Benevento, Italy, and so they, they have a tradition and a pride and, and a love for traditional Italian cheeses, which is why, they, why they're making fresh mozzarella and this um, fresh ricottas. Um, so that's the Italian influence. And then I would be the one who's worked with people like Appleton Creamery and you know mixed and matched and tried this and natural rind and little bit of that, a little bit of this. So that would be the origin of um, some of the you know, more hybrid European-style cheeses that we make. And then um, the Latin influence is that we have a couple of guys that work with us, and they're from Guatemala. And the Guatemalan cheeses started just to serve our internal needs. The, okay. Um, uh, one of the cheesemakers, Arturo, he was just making queso fresco um, for himself and a few other people. And then the bakeries that where they would go, the bakeries started asking if they could get some of that queso fresco mm-hmm. and some queso blanco. And before we knew it, we had you know this just instant, this little local demand for the Latin cheeses. And then it was Mark's bright idea that oh well maybe other people want to try this um, queso fresco and queso blanco. And so and we, we sell a lot of that now because you know it's funny i feel like that's one of the most amazing things and also in a lot of cities up and down the eastern seaboard there are a lot of populations from different countries in latin america but no real local source for fresh freshly made cheeses and and in new york i feel like i always thought that was lacking and so when i found out that you guys made queso fresco and queso blanco i was so excited because there is a huge demand for it and um and there is a huge difference in taste between the industrial stuff and the artisan stuff. So that's just amazing that you guys uh, sort of hooked into that and uh, and through your community of people working with you, you know, yeah. turn turn it into a wonderful product. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. And the nature of queso fresco and queso blanco, if you think about all of Latin America, 
is it's probably a cheese that doesn't even get refrigerated. It gets made, sold, eaten. That same day. Kind of like yeah. mozzarella should be, ideally, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and so the nature of those cheeses are they really, they really, by nature, shouldn't be shipped from another country or shipped from across the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if people want to learn more about uh, Narragansett Creamery, how, how can they find out? Do you guys have a website? or? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, we, our website is R-I-Cheeses, plural. Dot com. So R-I-C-H-E-E-S-E-S. R-I-Cheeses.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, are there any plans for new cheeses in the, in the upcoming season or um, anything like that? Or are you guys kind of happy with your, with your line of cheeses as they stand now, the Italian and the, and the Latin American and the aged European style? Yeah, we'll, we've always got stuff up our sleeve for sure. And, <laughs> That's good. Um, we're always doing small batches. We've been um, kind of blown away. We've been making yogurt, and that's just gone like gangbusters. Your yogurt is so good. I just tried that for the first time this week and was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, thank is- you. That's really nice. And, I, you know, I do a lot of small batch stuff that I just bring to the farmer's market. Um, and, again, that's Mark. He's, he just gives me all this creative space that I get to just play um, so I have been making um, kefir, and that's also people have just been going really crazy for that. Um, I, I'll have to, I have to do a little more testing before I can figure out how to get it, you know, ready for wholesale and shipping. Um, and then we're also, you know, we're playing around with a little some seasonings, putting some um, some chilies or some cumin seeds into some of our aging wheels, and so. We don't have anything specific that's about to roll out, but um, we're, yeah, we're always busy. <laughs> but like you said, lots of tricks up your sleeve. That's, yeah. that's awesome. That's exciting for the rest of us. We can just, you know, wait with bated breath to see <laughs> what's, uh, what's next. And well, so I think, um, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up in just a second. But, um, you know, just as a final thing, do you guys offer any kind of internships or if people wanted to, you know, learn cheese making from, from uh, Narragansett Creamery, is that a possibility? Definitely, um, we we haven't we've had a couple of interns. We usually um, our interns to date have been local goat farmers because uh-huh. we're trying to help them get their cheese efforts on the road. Um, but if people are interested, by all means, send me um, send me an application or a, a resume or an email letting me know that you're interested, and we can definitely talk. And um, my info is on the website, and that is www.richeeses.com. Wonderful. Well, unfortunately, I think we're out of time for the day, but I thank you so much for taking the time out on a, on a Sunday in between soup making and napping <laughs> and laundry doing to, to talk cheese. It's been really fun, and I hope um, you'll um, come back onto the show again in the future. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll see you soon and see you next Sunday on Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby.